Hello and welcome back to another episode of Film Junkies with Griff and Friends. As always, I'm your host Griffin Schroeder and this week it's going to be a solo episode. Hopefully last week you enjoyed me talking to the wonderfully talented and funny and hopefully easy to listen to (laughs) Cassie Thompson uh, who as I mentioned, is my girlfriend. Um, I had a really good time doing that episode with her, and I think she might want to come back for another one now that she's had the stress relieved of doing the first episode, (laughs) as is the uh, same feeling of Keaton and Eric, who have both been on the show as well. They're both uh, willing and ready to come back for some more, so hopefully we'll see them soon, and um, if things go my way, we'll have some, some new guests on the show as well coming up. So, Moving forward, this week I want to talk about a film that I love watching. It's one that uh, definitely is going to make you sad for a bit, but I think that that's a type of film that definitely is needed and is one that there is a time for, and uh, today just so happened to be that time that I wanted to watch that film, and and now I'm going to be talking about it to all of you listening. Um, If you're not familiar with this this movie, it came out uh, a few years ago, and kind of took Hollywood by storm, I would say, when it did come out, and rightfully so. Uh, It made a lasting impact on a lot of people, me included, which is why I want to talk about it this week. And I think it's pretty safe to say that this is probably going to be the most depressing movie that I've talked about on the podcast thus far. Um, I was looking back through my list of them that I've talked about, and at at least the ones that I've dedicated an entire episode to, I'd probably say this one has the the most uh, emotional depth and, and heaviness to it. So, uh, if that isn't a great introduction to it, then I don't know what it is. <laughs> so, as always, I'll give you a plot summary for Manchester by the Sea. After the death of his older brother Joe, Lee Chandler is shocked that Joe has made him sole guardian of his teenage nephew Patrick. Taking leave of his job as a janitor in Boston, Lee reluctantly returns to Manchester by the Sea, the fishing village where his working class family has lived for generations. There, he is forced to deal with a past that separated him from his wife, Randy, and the community where he was born and raised. So give a little bit away for you right at the beginning. Um, This is another one of those episodes, like I mentioned with her, uh, how I kind of want to switch the way I do solo episodes. Um, So I'm hoping that you have seen this film prior to listening to the podcast, um, because I think you'll get more out of it that way, as I can break down specific scenes and talk to you about certain parts of the movie that I'll be discussing that um, I think can really have you relate back to the movie if you've already seen it. However, I mean... If you're okay with learning about certain things that happen, then that's a a weird trait that you have because I'm not a fan of that. (laughs) I like to experience films uh, the way that they were made the first time without anybody telling me anything about them ahead of time. But uh, moving on, I want to talk about uh, the ratings as always for this film. They were incredible. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes had it at a 96%. Metascore was 96% as well, which I've mentioned timelessly that is the hardest uh, rating system to get a good score on, so very impressive there. And then the IMDb rating is 7.8 out of 10. So this movie was written and directed by Kenneth Lonergan. Uh, He also wrote and directed You Can Count On Me, which won several awards, uh, as well as writing the screenplay for Gangs of New York, which is a great film. It starred uh, Leo DiCaprio and Daniel Day-Lewis. And those two films, as well as this film, Manchester by the Sea, uh, 
all three of them were nominated for the Oscar for Best Screenplay. So I think it's uh, safe to say that our boy Kenny knows how to write a movie. (laughs) But uh, before we do get any further with the discussion of this film, I would like to give credit where it's due um, and say that the idea for this film was actually conceptualized by John Krasinski, also known as Jim from The Office. Uh, if you saw my video for the podcast this week, you heard me talk about this. But um, So as I've heard for years, actually, John Krasinski is an incredibly talented person in terms of film and television. Uh, he's been given the opportunity to kind of to show that due to his success on The Office. Uh, and so he pitched the idea for this film to Matt Damon over lunch, and then apparently it was just all over from there. Matt Damon loved it and went and pitched it to uh, Kenneth to start writing it and hopefully directing it as well. And then Krasinski actually maintained as an, an executive producer role on this film. Um, but speaking of this, uh, Matt Damon was actually originally supposed to star and direct this film, um, but some... Uh, I think scheduling conflicts came up because Matt Damon's in a million movies every year. And so, uh, he wasn't able to do it, but I, I, I think that they hit the nail on the head with the casting and directing that they did have for this movie. And then, as I mentioned, it was a crowd favorite, uh, from anyone I've talked to about it, but especially critics, uh, and award show, uh, I guess, what we can call the Academy, the the pristine level of people in Hollywood who decide whether a movie is good or not. (laughs) Uh, Manchester by the Sea was nominated for six Oscars, including Best Actor, Best Screenplay, Best Supporting Actor, uh, Best Supporting Actress, and then it won the Oscar for Best Actor and Best Screenplay. So definitely uh, racked racked it up there as far as the Oscars are concerned. Um, and then it was also nominated for five Golden Globes, including Best Actor, Best Picture, Supporting Actress, Best Director, Best Screenplay, and it won for Best Actor uh, at the Golden Globes as well. So did pretty well as far as award seasons are concerned. Um, and then another fun fact about this film related to awards, this was actually the first film distributed or co-distributed by a streaming service. In this case, it was Amazon Studios uh, to be nominated for an Oscar for Best Picture, which I also talked about in the video this week. But I want to bring that up again because I think it's important, as I've talked about, that streaming services are getting uh, a name in the game as far as um awards go and and being recognized for the quality content that they do put out. Uh, And so a tip of the hat to Amazon there. Uh, Obviously, they're a company that apparently doesn't know how to mess things up. Uh, Well, Jeff Bezos does in his personal life. But other than that, um, I think they're doing pretty well as the stuff that they're accomplishing. Um, And so I want to say, like, I'm glad that this movie was was made. Uh, Obviously, a lot of people agree with me on that. One thing about it being made, though, that was interesting to me. So there is a list that's released every year called the Blacklist, um, which sounds kind of uh, bad. And in a sense, it is. But essentially what the Blacklist is, is it's a Hollywood list of screenplays uh, that were released or pitched to be made into movies each year but weren't being made. And the Blacklist is a collection of the movies that weren't picked up to be made that um, a collection of people uh, decided should have been or were the best or most liked unmade scripts of that year. Uh, And so in 2014, the screenplay for Manchester by the Sea actually was featured on the blacklist um, as one of those most unliked unmade 
or one of those most liked unmade scripts of the year, uh, which I thought was cool. And like I said, I'm glad that it finally did get made. So moving on to the cast here, we have Casey Affleck in the starring role as Lee, uh, Kyle Chandler as his brother Joe, Michelle Williams as Randy, who is Chandler, uh, I'm sorry, who is uh, Lee Chandler's wife, and then Lucas Hedges as Patrick, who is Lee's nephew. Um, and Lucas Hedges is someone who you might recognize his name now, uh, and Maybe it's because you saw him in this movie, or maybe because you've seen him in the million other movies he's been in since this film came out. But this was actually his first um, like feature film, big time uh, role. And I remember seeing this film at first and just immediately realizing like this this dude's going places. He's definitely going to be around for a while in Hollywood, and uh, he has proven to do that over the past few years. He has not stopped his uh, presence in in big name movies. Uh, so congrats to him on that. And then one little uh, side note as far as um, the cast is concerned that I once again mentioned in my video, but despite being featured on the poster for this film, uh, Michelle Williams is in the film for less than 12 minutes, which equates to less than 10% of the film's runtime. So it's very interesting to, to see someone you know, be shown as such a big part of the film before you see it and then realize that while her character does have a huge impact on the way the film goes, she's just not on screen for very much. Um, so she does make use of the time that she is there considering she got nominated for a few things. Um, and so going into this film, like I mentioned, I want to kind of structure things like I did with, with the film her and talk about how, when you're watching it, there's certain things that you see, certain things that you feel or, or me personally. And so that you can kind of understand how I watch a movie and what I get out of it. So we're going to jump right into the beginning scene here where we have uh, Lee on a fishing boat with a young child and someone else driving the boat who we don't know uh, immediately. But he, we, we soon find out that he is related to the young boy and the, the person driving the boat. Um, and they're, he's happy, he's having a good time fishing, and he has a quote that I think sets a very good tone for the whole film um, as far as tying things into what you're going to see and showing a little bit of foreshadowing. And that quote is, if you could take one guy to an island with you and you knew you would be safe because he was the best man for it, he was going to make the world a good place, he was going to keep you happy on that island, this is the best man for the job no matter what. Between me and your father, who would you take? And then the little boy says, my dad. And he, you know, has a, the argument with the little kids saying, no, you don't know what you're talking about. Um, so that's a, our brief introduction to a few of the characters that end up having a big role in the film. Uh, we just don't know it at the time. And I think that that was a great way to start out the film because it shows him what it's like to see the main character, Lee, as a happy person. Which then segues into a montage of present day him doing maintenance work at different apartments. Uh, everyone he interacts with is gloomy, sad, and depressed. And especially him, he's kind of the pinnacle of um, just, you know, not being happy. And we, we see that in the way he acts and interacts with other people, and uh, including, you know, getting yelled at by some of the tenants and then getting yelled at by his boss for speaking rudely back to some of the tenants in the building. And um, we just kind of start to get the understanding that, Maybe this used to be a happy guy, but definitely not anymore, and we get an immediate kind of uh, 
questioning as to why, or at least I, I do, you know, I want to know why characters get to a certain way. Not everyone is born just immediately depressed and sad. Um, some things happen that lead you to that point, and I'm curious to see what it is. But So we see the end of his day rolls out, and he goes to the bar and uh, sitting by himself, and a woman spills her drink on him, and then she tries to turn it into like a lighthearted um, way to hit on him. I mean, Casey Affleck's a good-looking guy. It's it's a sh- she shot her shot, and uh, he completely rejects it and shuts her down. And she feels very uncomfortable and walks away. And we just get the understanding that this guy doesn't really want to be around other people. That's not what he's looking for in his life at this point. And um, he's at the bar by himself, and it cuts cuts to later in the night. And he's drunk at the bar and sees a couple guys looking at him, not in a weird way at all. They just happen to glance over by him, and so he decides to walk over to them and you know, just starts fighting these guys. It shows that, you know, he doesn't have a lot to live for here. And, um, for whatever reason that we don't know yet, he's definitely, uh, fully engulfed in that, in that notion. So it goes to the next day when he's working again, shoveling snow, you know, being a handyman and obviously not having fun doing it. And he gets a call and we can't tell if it's a good or a bad call because he has essentially no emotional response to it, which we have seen his character is kind of one of the staples of the way that he uh, lives his life is not leading on to the way that he's feeling a lot. Um, and so then it cuts him driving to a hospital. Uh, and when he shows up, the first thing he says is, is he dead? Just in a flat line voice, no emotional uh, response on his face at all. And then the nurse turns to him and says he passed away about an hour ago. And it's a continuously very emotionless interaction from Lee. Uh, he asks, you know, where's my brother? And then we were like, okay, well, is, is his brother the one that died? And we, we start to piece things together. And this is the first time that we find out he actually has a family or anyone that he cares about in his life. Um, and then he goes on to say, someone should call my wife. And then everyone kind of stares at him. And then he corrects himself saying my ex-wife, I'm sorry. And so that gives us a little bit more background knowledge. Um, to what he's like and and some things obviously as an ex-wife now now we know his brother has passed away um those are two things in itself that obviously have caused some trauma in his life and then we get uh one of the first introductions uh second technically introduction to a main part of the way this film is made which i love is um using a timeline that incorporates flashbacks to draw you into the way the character is thinking or to show you why the character is reacting to a certain thing in the present by giving you a look behind the curtain as to what they experienced in the past that would cause them to feel something this way. Um, And I think that's an incredible way to create a film because it happens so seamlessly in the way that uh, Manchester by the Sea shows this. Uh, And so in that scene where he's talking about his his brother passing away we get a flashback um of when his brother's being diagnosed and we find out that he has a um had a heart disease that was uh essentially fatal and he was diagnosed with having five to ten years to live um based on this and that it's it's not a good disease to have and most people don't die from it um but then we kind of see them interacting as brothers and then we see uh lee's brother's wife there and is kind of just being hysterical and um they all aren't dealing with that very well and um it gives us a little bit of background on how the the family dynamic is so then we go back to lee who goes to the morgue to say goodbye to his brother and that's a it's a very emotional scene for us watching but for the people the character on screen it's more of the emotionless uh he 
sheds maybe a single tear but doesn't cry like you would think someone was seeing their their brother who we kind of feel like is is one of his best friends at this point uh he hugs him kisses kisses his cheek and leaves and you can tell that he kind of just isn't processing what has happened or is kind of just chalking it up to another thing to add to the list of things that have gone wrong in his life um, and then we cut back to the original scene of Lee on the boat with that child that we saw at the beginning. And we kind of infer or find out that his brother was the one driving the boat. And then we can put together that the boy is his brother's son. And Lee is happy and he's fishing with his nephew. And they're, you know, just having a great time on the boat. And uh, they, they're driving by talking about some scenery and... Lee says, look, and that's Misery Island, and Misery Island is where me and your Aunt Randy got married, and then they laugh, and it's like, oh, okay, so obviously it was his ex-wife, so he's making a joke, and we're, we're going to learn some about that. It's another, into another flashback of him uh, in the past coming home to his family, and we find out he has two daughters and a baby son, and his wife Randy is uh, laying in bed sick, and so they go and uh, start talking to each other, and we see they have this kind of like fun, argumentative way of interacting. It's uh, tied to that kind of like Boston family um, dynamic that they have, where uh, you know the husband kind of drinks and he makes some jokes and he's you know doesn't talk about his feelings, but his wife has a way of getting it out of him and all that. And uh, but it's done in a very, very good way. Like even though I <laughs> said that kind of jokingly, like it's it definitely shows that they they're a good couple, but at the same time, like. They have some things about him, and she gives him a hard time about drinking beer on the boat, and he explains to her that he's cutting back, but he says that he had eight beers, uh, which implies that, you know, he might have a drinking problem if they're talking about cutting back. So um, that's a flashback that we get. Then we're back in a present day, and that at this point, it's like, okay, we have some things that we can pull away from here. He Lee, the main character, has lost his, his brother, who we we can assume was one of his best friends. That's a difficult thing to deal with. We know he said he has an ex-wife, and we were shown a flashback of him with his wife and three kids who we have not seen anywhere else in the films. We know they're not in his life anymore. Those things by themselves are enough for us to understand why he might be so emotionally disconnected. And so then, like I said, we're back into present day, and uh, Lee ends up going to his nephew's hockey practice to pick him up and tell him, his name's Patrick, tell Patrick about his father passing away. And as we're seeing the the hockey practice, the, the coach of the hockey team looks over to the sidelines and sees uh, Lee standing there. And then a couple of the hockey players skate up to him, and then the coach says, that. so that's Lee Chandler, the Lee Chandler. And then the players say, yeah, but coach, you know that story's fake, right? And then it's like, oh, well, what, what does that mean? Because then they don't address that more, and so we're like, okay, well, then what happened? Because obviously it's something about his family or why he left the city that he grew up in, and it gives us some more questions that we want to know, and, and in my opinion, the way that it's shot just kind of draws you in more rather than makes you you know step back from what's being talked about. And so then uh, Patrick leaves hockey practice with his uncle, and we see quickly that their dynamic is, is more so of like, I mean, it is an uncle and a nephew, but they're more like just like, guys living with each other you know they're interacting with each other and there's not really a huge uh dynamic where he's an adult and and patrick's a kid it's just they talk to each other like humans and um when they're talking about if he wants to go to the morgue or not patrick says what does he look like and he said he looks like he's dead he doesn't look like he's sleeping or anything but he doesn't look gross either it's like okay that's how you describe to someone that 
you know, what their father looks like that he just passed away. And regardless, they go back into the morgue and Patrick walks right in and immediately turns around and leaves and says, thank you. And it's, it's like a, you know, couple second long scene, but it is powerful because it shows both of their interactions with, um, you know, the, the brother and the father passing away and, uh, leaving their lives and how they both kind of don't deal with it in a way that you would normally think someone would. And from there, we kind of start to meet Patrick, who is Joe's son and Lee's nephew, as I mentioned, and he definitely fits in with the family dynamic that they have. Like I said, the Boston types where it's hard to talk about and deal with emotions and they make jokes when they probably shouldn't. And they have a definite sense of family on top of all that. And so he asks Lee, having known that his father's gone now and he doesn't really have much else in his life, if he should reach out to his mom to let her know. Because at this point, we haven't seen where his mom is. And then uh, Lee uncovers that Joe didn't want him to be in contact with his mom and that nobody even knew where she was. And so now we're like, okay, well, what's going on? Then another one of those expertly timed flashbacks comes in and uh, we see the three of them, uh, Joe, Lee, and Patrick, coming home one night and uh, they turn and Patrick's mom is drunk laying naked on the couch. And so from that, we can assume that she has a drinking problem. And in my opinion, I think it's connected to the fact that she knows her husband could die at any time. Uh, and that probably, you know, really took a negative toll on her and, and caused her to dis- disassociate herself from her family, which obviously has had a long-term impact because now Patrick's asking if he should reach out to her because obviously he doesn't have continuous contact with her. But so from there, we, we go we're checking through boxes of um, the things that you would do when someone passes away. So now Lee and Patrick are going to the will reading for Joe and Lee finds out that he has been given custody of Patrick. And in this scene, it's another very emotional instance in which Lee's beside himself. He says that this can't be right and that he can't do it. And, and there's no way that Joe would have done that for him. And and the person, the lawyer who created the will is like, I don't, understand like he should have talked to you about this and we don't know what's happening but then we get a flashback that really gives us a lot of closure as far as things um happening or that have have happened to, to lee so this flashback shows lee at home uh up late drinking with some of his friends uh and his wife comes down and starts yelling at him telling him it's 2 a.m the kids are sleeping and it's time to go home and go to bed and so they jokingly, you know, say some things and then all of his friends leave and he's by himself. And, uh, then he decides he's going to get up and, and walk to the liquor store. And this was one thing that was interesting to me because obviously we, we know now it's 2 AM and he decides he's going to go that he needs to leave his house to go get more beer. So obviously the, the foreshadowing before that he did have a drinking problem comes into play. And when he gets to the liquor store, the clerk there addresses him by name, says, Hey Lee. And, it's like, okay, he's a regular there. And then she says, can I get you a can of soda? Which I think was interesting because that would mean that, you know, she probably understands that he's got an issue with drinking and, and wants to suggest something other than drinking alcohol. Uh, regardless, though, he buys alcohol and then walks home. Uh, and then throughout his walk home, we see him stumbling, falling down. He's, he's clearly drunk. And when he gets back to his house, it's fully engulfed in flames the police fire department and a group of bystanders are all there watching or helping. And, uh, his wife is being carried away and is screaming and crying. And at this point we don't see any of the children there. We just see his immediate reaction to this. And he's just completely taken aback. 
and then we we see his wife being taken off in a stretcher um mostly do we assume to smoke inhalation and being put on an ambulance and that scene for me was just like one of the most uncomfortable things between the two of them where like they you know at this point that the children aren't aren't didn't make it out um and we don't know where they are and we don't know like we we understand that the, a fire broke out and uh she is just so beside herself and she's on this stretcher strapped down and then Lee keeps going over to try and like console her and like reach out and touch her and she's physically moving her body away from him and you just feel so much remorse for him at that point because you think that you know the fire probably had something to do with him and so then we see you know the firemen pulling body bags out of the house the burnt down house and we we are confirmed that the children have all passed away and uh, we cut to Lee in the police station explaining to the police officers what had happened, that he forgot to, um, or that he started a fire to warm the kids up and that he couldn't turn the central air system on because his wife uh, gets sick, which we saw earlier, and we understand now that she got sick because of the central air. And so we wanted to start a fire to uh, warm them up since it was a cold night, um, and he was too drunk and forgot to put the fireplace screen on. And he just, he said halfway through his walk to the mini mart, he had a thought of whether or not he remembered to do it or not, but he kept walking anyway. And then the police officers tell him after he's done with his story, like, you know, obviously this is a horrible mistake, but a million other people made horrible mistakes last night too. And, um, we're not going to try and roast you over the coals here, um, for, something that definitely was an accident and he just can't believe that he isn't being punished criminally in some way for this uh because he feels so much accountability for what has happened and so he leaves the the office that he's in the police station walks up to a police officer and takes his gun out of his holster and tries to kill himself right in the middle of the police station um, but the the safety was on the gun and so he was unable to uh, be successful in that and it's just like a very very heavy part of the movie but it clears up so much for us as far as understanding why this character is the way that it is that he is and it's clear that dealing with grief or attempting not to is a main theme of this film from that point on and as we uncover the truth behind why lee is the way that he is things start to get more difficult for patrick as well um because now that we got this incredible um flashback as to why lee is the way he is it still doesn't help Patrick to get through the remorse that he's feeling at the loss of his father and now the fact that he doesn't have other people in his life so um, because of his past experiences in Manchester by the Sea Lee wants to move back to his apartment uh, and bring Patrick with him which would essentially uproot his life and Patrick is getting um, more and more angry with this because he's having a tough time dealing with things and as their family goes they just kind of don't acknowledge the emotions that they're feeling and you know, mostly probably because his uncle uh, experienced something so horrendous that, you know, how do you begin to talk about something like that? And so Patrick just kind of keeps pretending as if everything's okay. And um, one night we see him go to get something to eat from the freezer. And this just causes him to have an in intense breakdown um, because they've mentioned that since it's the winter time in Manchester by the sea that uh, his dad will have to stay in a freezer all winter until the ground is soft enough to dig up. And he just has a breakdown and saying he just can't think of his dad being in a freezer all, all winter and that it makes him so incredibly upset and um, just 
an, an emotional part of the movie that definitely, you know, brings you into it because up until that point, you don't see the characters show much emotion because that's just not the way that they are. And, you know, Patrick's having a rough time in life, but he doesn't have anyone to talk to. You know, his dad just passed away. His mom is out of the picture due to alcohol issues. His outside family has moved out of state, and his uncle is understandably closed off due to the tragedy he's experienced. And so Patrick is forced to act as if he's okay, and that can obviously be a tough thing for a teenager to deal with. You know, throughout some of the movie, we see him juggling the trials of high school, playing two high school sports, having two girlfriends, playing in a band, and just trying to figure out his future. And it's it's hard to, you know, see all those things. It's it's a lot for him to try and balance and, and figure out, and we're there through the struggle with him. And um, there aren't many things that seem to be constant that give him reassurance, uh, but one of those things is the boat that their family owns. That's the main thing that he cares about, and he wants to keep that in his life as it meant so much to him and his dad and his uncle. And his his uncle mentions a few times that maybe they should try and sell it to have money, and he refuses. And um, Patrick just maintains the fact that that's something that he has to keep in his life. We end up seeing a scene where Patrick took his girlfriend on the boat with Lee, and it's the first time we've actually seen Lee smile in the film that wasn't part of a flashback. And I thought that was really important because it shows even more that that boat is something that definitely holds the film together and um, shows what it means to have that kind of family togetherness and and to bring you um, closer through something that you might not think could have that ability. Uh, but it is a memory of his dad and his uncle and, the, and how things used to be better and how they could be, you know, hopefully at some point in the future. But as the film goes, uh, we immediately see something positive. You know, after something positive happens, we see a negative interaction that counteracts that. So after Lee was on the, the boat smiling and we think things might getting better, we even see some music changing where uh, he might be having a good time. But he's walking down the street and he runs into Randy who is his ex-wife, and the emotion just pours out of her, um, because rightfully so, you know, they had a family together, and their children, all three of their children died in a fire, and um, we, we, from what Randy says, we find out that she just, you know, unloaded on him with emotions, and, and blaming it on him, and making him feel like he was just a terrible thing, and um, she says she should be banished to hell for the things that she said uh, to him, and it's just a, a very, very heavy scene in the film because at the, up until this point when Lee speaks, he either doesn't speak at all or when he says something, it's a very like cold and calculated response and he doesn't waste any breath and he says only what's necessary to be say, said. And this is the first time that we actually see that Lee doesn't have something to say and he's kind of at a loss for words and he keeps stumbling and, and can't get anything out and um, Randy asks if they could have lunch together and he just like can't fathom even doing that. And he says he has to leave and he, he walks away and we see that he goes to a bar. And this kind of repeats his cycle where he ends up fighting another random guy at the bar and just going back into that slump. And we understand that like Lee is alone and although he has to take care of Patrick now, he still holds so much pain from the accident that took his family away and he is constantly reminded of that. There's, we go to the, the next night, and he's cooking dinner, and he, he falls asleep on the couch and has a dream, uh, and his daughters are in it, and they ask him if he saw them burning, which is like just 
unbelievable. Uh, and he wakes up and, uh, there's smoke coming from the kitchen because he fell asleep while he was cooking something and it freaks him out so much. And, um, like reassures to him that he is incapable of doing this type of thing. Like he can't let himself be put in a situation again where he could, um, ruin someone's life or, or, you know, worst case scenario, what happened previously that fatalities could be caused because of, uh, something that he did. And so he sits down and tells Patrick that he's made arrangements for him to stay with their friends, uh, and that he's going to move to, uh, Boston, got a job there and that this will be better for everyone. And Patrick becomes emotional in this scene and just says, so you're just going to disappear? Like, why can't you stay? And he makes it known that he really relies on his uncle and wants him to be in his life. But Lee, probably the most that he's opened up emotionally throughout the entire film, says he can't beat it. And he refers to his family dying and, you know, he says it, says it again, I just can't beat it. And says that's why he feels he has to leave. And that's right towards the end of the film there and, it's it's very sad to see because we see that they have such a strong bond together but he just can't trust himself enough to take care of another human being and and have that weight in his life and it's very emotional to see that a person like this um has to live with that day in and day out and which was an honest mistake and something obviously no one would ever want to have happen to their family or their children and uh because of that he he's such a good person that he feels he can't let himself, uh, be forgiven for that, uh, which is very heavy and a big part of this film in general. But so then from there, like I said, we're, we're towards the end of the film and we cut to them at the burial grounds together and they're walking together after, uh, the burial of, uh, Lee's brother and Patrick's dad. And, they start to have a conversation about what's going to happen now and when is he going to move. And Lee says that he's looking for an apartment with two, two bedrooms or a pull out couch. And Patrick's like, why? And he's like, in case you want to come visit me, uh, or if you want to go to college and then Patrick says, I'm, I'm not going to college. And so it, it's a very like tense conversation. And, uh, then Lee just says, do we have to talk about this now? And Patrick says, no. And that's like the last conversational dialogue that we hear in the whole film and I thought that was really important um, because it's so perfect to describe their characters and the way their family works they have gone through so much together and separately and their lives are you know forever changed in in a lot of ways in a negative way and um, when they're starting to talk about something emotional, it just comes to that, you know, do we have to talk about this? And the answer is always no. And we just see that both of those people now are going to continue to live lives where they bottle things up and, um, they can't move on from things or they just pretend that they're not affecting them. And so that people think that they've moved on. And that's just such a, a bad way to live, obviously. But, um, in this film, it's just an incredible way to show character development and uh, the way that this story kind of wraps up is, you know, not everything has a happy ending, and uh, I don't, there wasn't much of a happy part of this film at all, which is why I mentioned it being kind of one of the more depressing ones that I've uh, reviewed, but I think that it just kind of, you know, finishes up in a way that is reminiscent of the way that they lived their lives. You know, the last thing that we see then ends up uh, with the two of them fishing together back on the boat, and 
and for me, that's about as happy as this story could get because uh, things are back to how they started. You know, we had that first scene where he was uh, Lee was fishing with his brother and his nephew on the boat, and then now we finish the film, and his nephew's older now, his brother's not there, but the two of them are are fishing together, and things are kind of back to how they started, and uh, that's one thing that can bring them together and kind of let them bond over something and uh which obviously isn't something that they they make an effort to do in other parts of their lives and like i said i i just think that that was a great way to wrap up the film um if the intention was to make it something incredibly uh depressing as it was so i mean one of the main reasons i love this film is that it tells such a complex story in a fairly simple way So while you do deal with the time jumps in the plot, as I mentioned, from flashbacks to present day skips, the story is told in an eloquent way that never leaves you confused or asking questions that aren't answered later, which is something that I love in films. I don't, I don't like the cliffhanger, like, let me figure it out myself. (laughs) Like, you need to tell me what your intention was with the story. And I think Manchester by the Sea does that very well. And the writing here is spectacular. Um, and the acting is honestly some of the best that I've ever seen. Obviously, from the awards that it was um, nominated for and won, that that was agreed upon by many. And that's you know not much more I can say about this film other than go watch it and experience it. And if you've already seen it, then hopefully the things that I pointed out on this episode you can agree with, uh, or maybe that I pointed out some things or some uh, plot points that you didn't notice before that maybe might cause you to go watch the film again. Uh, but as I mentioned, that's kind of what I want to get out of these solo episodes is ju- just to kind of show you guys that um, there are different ways of looking at films. Um, and if you saw the film the exact same way that I did, then hopefully you uh, have another film to add to your list of ones you'll recommend to people because that's what I have this one as. And um, as always, I enjoy talking about films that are made in incredible ways and, and cause you to think artistically. And I think that Manchester by the sea accomplishes that incredibly well. Um, and yeah, that's, that's about my thoughts on this film. And this was another episode of film junkies with Griffin friends. Um, I'm hoping, like I said, to have another guest, hopefully a new one, maybe a repeat in the next episode or so. I mean, next episode is number 20. So we will see, uh, what I pull out of the bag for that one. But without further ado, this has been another episode. Thank you guys for listening. Catch you next week.